0: Hey, this is Howard Jacobson, and I'm joined on the phone today by Dr. Joel K. Kahn, who's a clinical professor of medicine at Wayne State University School of Medicine and author of The Holistic Heart Book, which is really amazing, fascinating, and such useful information. I can't wait to talk about it today. Welcome, Dr. Kahn.
1: Well, thank you, and uh, believe me, I got goosebumps uh, talking to you, so it's mutual love. It's all good.
0: Awesome. Um so before we jump into the specific recommendations and findings that you outline in the book, I'd love to hear a little bit about your personal story. I know that you and I were both heavily influenced uh by John Robbins Diet for a New America. Um I was I'm curious what what came first, your interest in a plant-based lifestyle or your interest in medicine as a profession?
1: Um It's also mixed together, um, just real briefly, I grew up keeping kosher. That helped me in one way, maybe in many ways, I should give credit, it's almost the Jewish New Year, I should give credit to the Lord above, but it helped me knowing some food you eat, some food you don't eat, so, I mean, and when you're in a plant-based diet, you know that there's that fence around what you do and what you don't do, so I grew up with that, I mean, I can tell you it was the most perfect, least perfect, but... It was a tradition we followed in my home pretty tightly. Went up to University of Michigan, age 18. Had been dating my wife for a number of years by then. We met in elementary school. Another lovely story on the side. And said, you know what? Being vegetarian is going to be the easiest way to follow these rules. I don't have to worry what's got meat, what's got milk, what's mixed with what. And the uh, Ann Arbor life as a vegetarian was pretty easy. Um, And that's kind of where it started. And I was a very uneducated Um, reasonably observant vegetarian uh, with a broad definition of vegetarian because back home at mom's or mother-in-law's would be whatever was on the table. And then just as you said, um, I was uh, right around that time, I went to Ann Arbor to begin an undergraduate and medical school course. So uh, the vegetarianism and the medical training were hand in hand. But if you looked at the medical literature, and I'm an old man, I mean, I started late seventies, early eighties, you wouldn't find a whole lot to support the medical benefits of a vegetarian and vegan diet, plant based diet. So, long story short, nineteen eighty seven is the year that a Diet for New America was published um by John Robbins. And I had never heard of the guy, but a very sweet friend handed me that book. He said, I know you're going on vacation, you probably enjoy reading it. And that really set the stage to say, Whoa, there's science about the environment. Whoa, there's science about Animal rights and not just science emotions and all and then, um you know, as much as there was at that time, science to say there were chronic diseases that I was studying at that point wasn't quite out in practice yet, and it really was a turning point to go back to the medical library and start watching the medical literature and you know they've always been together because. Um, I, I've more and more just recently gotten much more committed to the environmental and animal rights aspects of plant-based diets. But um, my personal life, my plant-based diet, and my medical practice and my research always have been mixed together since because I was just watching the literature, what was new about preventing and healing diseases with nutrition. And, uh, God, it's just exploded. But started watching this stuff a long time ago.
0: Nice. Yeah, it's interesting because you know your your approach is so holistic, and, and holistic is a word that gets thrown around a lot in in medicine and wellness and alternatives. But you you really are holistic by by nature and by what you choose to include and by how you describe. You know, in the very first chapter of the book, all the different systems that contribute to a healthy heart. And it occurs to me that maybe some of that comes from keeping kosher, which is also a very holistic system of thinking about food and environment and ethics uh, and and a web of relationships. I'm I'm wondering if you can draw any lines there.
1: Uh, Well, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, uh, without going too far into Jewish dietary laws, they clearly, whether you accept them or not, but they impose a consciousness about something we do at least three times a day, and very often five, six, seven times a day, a consciousness about what's about to go into our body, and viewing our bodies as something very special, something very, if you want the word, holy or, or spiritual or at a higher plane, and and uh, treating our bodies in a way that respects that we are the highest on the animal chain Uh, for sure, Um, and you take it as far as you want, Um, so yes, I I agree with you to some extent, and I appreciate, um, you know, and I'm not an anarchist, I am very much from the standard medical system, major universities, I'm proud of every, you know, faculty instructor that was involved in training me, and some of these people are just very world-famous physicians and scientists, but you know we're not missing a pharmaceutical agent we're not lasix deficient we're not you know zocor deficient we're not metformin deficient um you know there's amazing science between those and other medications i mean we're largely except for a few genetic variations we're largely lifestyle deficient and we're stress burdened and we i guess we have tools of stress management deficient and we're body movement deficient and you know, I'm a good student and uh, I haven't created anything brand new. Uh, somebody told me lately, you're a great validator. You got some nice titles behind your name and academic credentials and you validate a lot of stuff out there. Well, I'm happy with that because there need to be more spokespeople that are, I still got my right foot very much in standard medicine, but I'm very happy to have my left foot at the wheatgrass bar and at the farmer's market and at the acupuncture clinic and you know, at the vitamin store and kind of bridge both worlds because uh, I think you do a better job of um, healing people, preventing disease when you can, you know, broach both. I mean, if you're coming to me with a heart attack, I'm not going to put, you know, kale and ginger salves on your chest and say, well, pray. I mean, I'm going to do what <laughs> needs to be done. But, but I don't want you to have a heart attack. There's no reason to have a heart attack, and I'm going to work very hard to make your heart attack proof.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, so I would, I would add to, to Validator, um, for me, you're sort of a great curator of lots of stuff. And there's lots of stuff in your book that I know about and I was familiar with. But there's a lot of stuff that I've never heard anyone in sort of heart health nutrition talk about, like heart math. And, you know, I, I have similar interests and I have, you know, the, their little device that I, I plug in and watch, uh, for coherence on my computer. And it, it felt very validating to me to hear you talking about all these other things that I've kind of kept under wraps, as maybe that's a little bit too weird for people, um, but, you know, so that you curate widely, and you also are really good at explaining. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff, you know, especially around cholesterol, which I want to get into, because I had no idea how complicated that is.
1: Um, right. Well, I, I appreciate. it. I'll use the term curator too, uh, with great pride. But I appreciate it.
0: So, so let's let's can, can we dive in? Um, sure. So one one of the things you say is that we've learned a lot about heart disease and causality and prevention since Framingham, since the Framingham Heart Studies, which I think we're in the 50s through 70s Was that, was? that uh, yeah they're actually still ongoing but
1: probably the first report of note was 1961 it actually started in 1948 the first real report 1961 that said smoking is linked to heart disease diabetes is linked to heart disease high cholesterol is linked to heart disease so we've had you know 50 plus years of knowing the standard risk factors for heart disease
0: yes Right. And so when one of the things that I heard a lot in the 80s and early 90s was, according to Framingham, and it was a large number of uh, people in the study, basically having cholesterol under 150 made you heart attack proof.
1: Right. Very common. There were two common statements by Dr. William Castelli, the medical director of Framingham. And one was if your HDL was very high, let's say over 80, your high density lipoprotein. HDL cholesterol, you were heart attack proof. And if your total cholesterol was under 150, um, you're a heart attack proof. And those are not actually, um, those don't overlap because it would be pr- very hard to have a total cholesterol under 150 and an HDL over 80. So, um, and, and really, I mean, that's Dr. Esselstyn talks about being heart attack proof and others because on plant-based, no-added-oil diets like, Dr. Colin Campbell, Dr. Esselstyn, Dr. Ornish, and such—you often get your cholesterol well under 150, and they've got the data. So, um, but, but you're right—that um, kind of that hasn't really changed. I think most people accept a cholesterol level that low makes you very resistant to heart attack events. But otherwise, the cholesterol issue has gotten um, somewhat uh, difficult and uh, more complex.
0: Right. So, I want to ask you about that because the cholesterol debate has turned into a fault line between the plant-based community and, let's say, the paleo or, you know, I've gone to a lot of acupuncturists and Chinese medicine people who are very much into their, you know, broth, and, and their view of cholesterol is we've got it completely wrong, and those, those figures are, are misleading, and that having large amounts of cholesterol in your body is not a problem at all. So how do we make sense of the cholesterol issue and get nuanced enough so that we're we're clear but not so, you know, focused on individual details that we we become um, paralyzed.
1: Well, probably a topic I'll just briefly address cuz honestly it could be hours of conversation and I would title it lies lies and more damn lies because I think <laughs> there is a ethic out there, and it's the Weston Price and Sally Fallon, if people know these names, Gary Taubes, and to some extent uh, much of the paleo movement, uh, which has some virtuous aspects. I've written kindly about the paleo movement in a blog a few times, but um, has really distorted the issue and has really manipulated data. there is uh it, it, there is a need for cholesterol in your serum to make some essential hormones and vitamins vitamin D sexual hormones and others however The real science says you probably need a cholesterol of about 80, which is an infant and a child serum cholesterol, and they make all the hormones and all the vitamins they need if given adequate calories and nutrition. Maybe you need a serum cholesterol of 100, but you clearly don't need a serum cholesterol, which is the theory that they then carry, of 250, 290, 300 total cholesterol to do that. And furthermore, there's absolutely no data from gigantic scientific studies, lowering cholesterol by diet, even lowering cholesterol by the awful Satan statins, which have gotten such a bad reputation, some deserve, some undeserved, that lowering cholesterol shortens lifespan. Quite the opposite in cardiovascular disease, lowering cholesterol under 150 in people with established heart disease by diet or by pharmacology. Um, extends life on average. So you need, you know, there's nobody with a cholesterol of zero. There are genetic conditions where your whole life, your cholesterol runs 100, 110, and those people actually have extended lifespan. They live more years than the average American because of their genetic variation that keeps their cholesterol congenitally low. So the whole story has been distorted. It's very well played out. If anybody has about like 100 free hours, There's a website called plantpositive.com, not my website. It's a mysterious grad student who um, goes in unbelievable detail into the real research on the diet-heart hypothesis and what's necessary in your serum cholesterol for optimal function and the link between anything above that and increased risk of heart disease and such. So it's really been distorted. I am a firm believer in uh, moderating your cholesterol uh, to reasonably low levels. And like you said, uh, there's been no change in the idea that under 150, hopefully by exercise, stress reduction, and a healthy, no-added-oil, plant-based diet, if you need some pharmacology added to it um, in small amounts, uh, it can be very safe. Uh, It's the best path. You want a low cholesterol for long life. You know, just recently there's data that cholesterol feeds breast cancer, Higher serum cholesterol is associated with higher breast cancer risk and higher breast cancer metastases risk. Um, I don't see anything good about cholesterol anywhere. I, I don't want mine fifty, but I sure don't want it two hundred and fifty either. Uh
0: uh-huh. huh. Yeah. That's that's helpful. Um, so I was I was recently preparing to talk about a couple of recent studies that that, that throw lots of uh, gasoline on the fire of public confusion. One of them was the the Chowdhury uh, meta-analysis of saturated fat studies that came out a couple months ago. And one of the things that I noticed was that almost all of the studies um, adjusted for cholesterol. Yes. Um, So, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what was the scientific rationale for that. I couldn't come up with one. I thought it was just it was crazy and i i won't go into kind of what what that means in terms of study design but it seems like there is some there, there's some funny business going on no, in I, the world you
1: know, i i actually wanted to go there with your last question i'm so glad you went back to this topic and it's not like it's a pet peeve cause, but i think there is an unwritten story whether it's an intentional bias for the economic gain you know i wrote a book about the Virtues of Healthy Lifestyle and Proponents of Plant-Based uh, Diets. If I wrote the Bacon Heart Disease book, I'd immediately be on number one on the bestseller list, and I know that. Um, <laughs> there is a great economic benefit to being a person with some credentials and telling the public what they want to hear, right or wrong. And uh, And I think there's a story there untold, but the story does say... The evil Dr. Ansel Keys, and if some of your listeners don't know who, but he was a double Ph.D. from Oxford and uh, California, University of South California, if I remember, you know, designed the K-rations during World War II, which was a little box of 3,000 calories worth of nutrition that saved so many soldiers in the field during World War II, went on to do some unbelievable research in Minneapolis on risk factors for heart disease around the same time as Framingham, and then visited Italy and saw that, Professors in Italy in the late 40s were saying they never saw a heart attack in their career. He scratched his head. He knew what was going on in Minneapolis and came back and designed what's called the Seven Country Study, which was the first prospective nutrition study, much like what Dr. Colin Campbell did in China, but this is about uh, 15 years earlier when it started, and published these results in a few lectures before he uh, designed the study that linked um, total fat in the diet with heart disease, ultimately saturated fat in the diet, animal protein in the diet, and heart disease. And that's all in the historical books. One of the most, he lived to age 100, died in 2004, described the Mediterranean diet, wrote a book about the Mediterranean diet. We all uh, know that program so well. It all came from Dr. Ansel Keys. And when he died in 2004, it became one of the most popular activities in America to say, evil Dr. Ansel Keys got it all wrong. He pinned the donkey's tail on fat. Because of that, companies like Snackwell made great products like Snackwell cookie cream cookies we all ate. And look what happened. America got fat. But if we if fat's bad and everything else is good, we should have got skinnier and healthier. We didn't. Well, it was a snackwell cookie we were eating. It wasn't, you know, an orange, an apple, a banana and a pomegranate that we substituted, um, as we supposedly reduce fat in our diet, at Dr. Key's recommendation. The real data is America never actually reduced fat content in our diet. Um, And it just, there's this giant group that bashes his history, his legacy, his research, and said, we know the new real vision of America. You know, fat is good. Put butter in your coffee. Oh, my God, you know, um, don't worry about anything about uh, animal fats. Eat as much as you want. Just reduce the sugar in your diet. We've all heard it. I I agree with you. There's a distorted and I think perverted and somewhat um, maybe, I don't even want to say dishonest, but there's clearly an economic machine by jumping into and riding that bandwagon, and it's just completely fraudulent in my opinion. It's a pretty bold statement because there's a lot of smart people that are on that bandwagon right now.
0: Right, but the more you know, the more I dive into studies. That's kind of what I'm spending time doing these days: is right. reading studies and trying to understand them. And right. I, my my bias is the people who design the study are smart and they know what they're doing, and I find that almost incompatible with what I'm seeing. You know, um, it's, it's, I agree, it's, it's, it's I agree, I agree, missing. and
1: I the Chowdhury study, the brief opinion paper by an interventional cardiologist in the British Medical Journal, November last year. They're all on the same theme. What I think we need to do as a plant-based community, and I've talked to Dr. Neil Barnard about this, I've talked to John McDougall about this, and um, Dr. um, Garth Davis, Bariatric Surgeon Houston, is I think we need to form a semi-academic or academic group of plant-based physicians who can not only respond when an article like Chowdhury comes out, which fortunately people like Dr. David Katz, Dr. Hugh at Harvard and Willett, Many people jumped on the bandwagon and pointing out the the enormous weaknesses, as did the website plantpositive.com very quickly. But we also need to be proactive. We need to be putting editorials in these open journals that will never get picked up on international news like the I love saturated fat articles do. But we need to be prospective and say – You know, uh, not even in a contentious way, but this is the reality that we can reduce chronic diseases, heart disease, diabetes, obesity, arthritis, dementia, uh, colitis, and others by uh, plant-based, low-oil diets. And uh, here's the data and, you know, take the the lead. And I hope that will happen. I hope we can get that little core group that
0: writes regularly. Yeah, well, maybe you know, maybe eventually uh, our view will become surprising and contrarian. Like, really, an apple can help?
1: Yeah, yeah, that,
0: sounds, yeah. that sounds yummy. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. hope so,
1: but I agree. I think there's some black hidden. There's a professor, at University of Minnesota, a very elderly professor, Dr. Henry Blackburn of epidemiology, extremely well published, um, older professor, and he is. And I don't want to quote him irresponsibly, but he absolutely believes that there's a story that will end up on the New York Times about Nina Teicholz and that book about saturated fat and why did she get three pages in the Wall Street Journal that was, quote, a news article uh, you know, a few months ago when indeed it was nothing but an amazing advertisement for her a very distorted view, non-physician, non-nurse, non-scientist, non-PhD, that all of America needs to add fat back to their diet. I mean, this is horribly irresponsible, but... On the other hand, we've got the obligation to speak up as a medical and scientific community. And, um, you know, there's a lot of good stuff going on, you know, that that is sharing some light. And I hope
0: my book's part of that uh, puzzle. Right. So I, I hope that everyone listening to this goes and gets a copy of your book. It's called The Holistic Heart Book. But just can, I interrupt, case, can I interrupt
1: you for one minute?
0: Yeah. For eight months, it was called
1: The Holistic Heart Book, and I set you up in a position you shouldn't be in, and I apologize. But <laughs> September sixteenth, 2014, it'll be and is available on Amazon pre-order order. Reader's Digest, God bless him, has changed the title of the book to The Whole Heart Solution. Whole Heart Solution. Absolutely wonderful. I'm not in marketing. There are geniuses that have been in business for 100 years. So they're actually – it's about 10% different because I updated references and brought some other uh, pointers in. The Whole Heart Solution and wholeheart, wholeheartsolution.com is actually a website where the book is uh, featured. But anyways, I appreciate it so much. And you didn't know that, so uh, I should have probably uh, given you a heads up ahead of time.
0: No, that's all right. Now 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 it will stick in people's minds even more. The Whole Heart Solution, um, subtitled um, – why you should eat bacon, right? Uh, exactly. To boost sales. So, so <laughs> appreciate that, yeah. It's a uh,
1: hard solution I am, with... I am
0: in marketing, so uh... <laughs> yes, I know that. <laughs> um so but what, what I was saying, in case there are a few people who don't get to it right away, um, there was a, there's a few things that I was that just floored me as I was reading and some of them floored me because I feel like I should know this and I don't. So could you talk about the the state of heart health screening um, and why the the tests that we're doing aren't particularly useful and the tests that are particularly useful, nobody's ever heard of them or does them.
1: Okay, favorite topics. Um, you know, we didn't prepare these questions. I'm so glad you asked that question. You know, everybody's heart has three small arteries about the size of a number two pencil at their largest that are lying on top of your heart, and pumping blood, red blood, into the heart through many branches. And they it's essential that they stay clean and open, free of plaque. Um, the problem is they're small, the heart's moving. So you go to your doctor, you get an electric cardiogram. Does it have information? Sure. Does it show you the heart arteries? Of course not. You go to your doctor and you get an echocardiogram with ultrasound. Information, yes. Does it show the arteries? Never. You get a stress test. Every kind of stress test you can think of in the world. Has any doctor seen your arteries when you've had a stress test? Absolutely not. You can't see the arteries. So there is the older test that we still do called a heart catheterization or an angiogram. I'm an expert in doing those for 30 years now. However, that's an invasive test and we uh, have to have very strict criteria when we select to do that on a patient because of the risk. We have a CAT scan where you inject dye into a person. It's incredibly useful, but, again, there's more risk and expense. But then we've got this one test called a coronary calcium CT scan. It's a CAT scan. You lie down, you hold your breath, and it's done in five seconds. No iodine, no dye, no IV. You can wear your T-shirt uh, while you have it done. And in at the end of that five or ten seconds, images are available, and voila, you see the three heart arteries you see them from their beginning to their termination, and you see if they're calcified. If they're Everybody knows the term hardening of the arteries. You see if they're hardened. And um, in about those five or 10 seconds, you've opened Pandora's box. If you come out with a score of zero and you have no coronary calcification, you have an extremely, extremely low risk of a problem for about seven to 10 years based on a lot of studies. Um, and if your coronary calcium score is climbing the ladder. Anything over zero isn't zero, but if you're 100 or 200 or 500 or 800 or 1,000, plus you can tell which arteries are calcified of those three and which have the most and which part of the artery is calcified, it's such a wealth of information. The the bugaboo, because it's always follow the money, is that other than about two states in the United States, it's not a covered um, test, it used to be when Oprah would talk about it, these whole body scans fifteen years ago, some people were paying seven, eight hundred dollars for this coronary artery calcium scan. Now in many communities you can get one for seventy bucks, hundred bucks, hundred and twenty dollars out of your pocket usually. Maybe you can get your money out of your HSA and get it reimbursed, two hundred dollars. But around age forty five to fifty, if your cholesterol or your blood pressure or your brother's had a heart attack or your sister or you smoke or you got diabetes or your life stress is amazing, you're obese, get get one of these scans. You may need a prescription from your doctor. They may not completely understand it, but tell them, this is the cat's meow. I spend a lot of time in my book talking about this. I have no doubt if we ever do the study that we can get large numbers of people to be screened by this test. And those that are normal, we celebrate them and tell them to eat broccoli. Those that are abnormal, we tell them to eat broccoli, but we intensively, characterize their cholesterol their diet their stress their sleep their hormone status and everything we can do and alter it we'd uh, have a much healthier and heart attack free nation because you know everybody that has a heart attack or a bypass or a stent had 10 years where we could have detected something before it happened but we don't have the right test this is the mammogram and the colonoscopy of the heart so in my practice you're going to get one of those i don't own the machine i don't make a nickel but i'm going to know on the second visit You're a heart patient with plaque or you're a heart patient with clean arteries. Now, there's, you know, one codicil. There are a few plaques in arteries that don't have calcium, but the studies that are out there say those plaques don't cause problems like the calcified plaques. And, um, you know, if you're just a healthy person walking the street, you ought to know where you stand. Mm
0: -hmm. And, um, you know, you said the person with heart disease should eat broccoli. The person without heart disease should eat broccoli. Really, one of, it seems to me one of the big benefits of a test like this is that it's it's like powerfully orienting for the person who's had it to take action. It's really a, a wake-up call that would happen maybe five or ten years before the cholesterol would go up or they'd get their angina or, or some other, um, you know, later measure of, of heart disease. Is that, is that what you find, that when your patients see this number? that they're somehow galvanized into action? I think you mentioned you know, taping the number to your fridge. Exactly. For those that really get a zero score, because there's a lot
1: of anxiety out there. There's people with absolutely horrible family histories, or they smoke for 10 years, and they think that they've destroyed mm-hmm. their heart, and they come back with a calcium score of zero. Of course, they are going to get all the basics of moving, sleeping, diet, nutrition, stress, but I'm also going to incredibly reassure them that they can tape that on their refrigerator and smile big if they feel a little poke or jab or pain. And the flip side is, and there's actually published science that says, if you take a person with an abnormal score, you can actually see better adherence to lifestyle changes. And that person also needs to put it on their refrigerator before they reach in for you know a hunk of cheese or a egg and bacon breakfast when they might you know look at it and say, I'm going to have oatmeal, walnuts, and cinnamon again today uh and and such so um yes extremely educational motivational plus it's not incorporated into the major cardiology guidelines but i think very few people would argue you have somebody with a cholesterol ldl of 160 kind of borderline do we treat Do or not treat well if they've got calcium all over their arteries you know i'm going to push that person through lifestyle some nutraceuticals and if needed pharmaceuticals to get their cholesterol down and if it's zero you know we're going to work on some things but in a little gentler path for sure
0: Got it. Yeah. so so you talk about a lot of different approaches to heart health in the whole heart solution yeah. uh see i'm tra- i'm trainable
1: ah, uh, thank you <laughs> uh
0: some of them are specifically around food and with food it's it's it, it really is like it's largely a conversation I think at first of what not to eat. So it feels very defensive. And then you 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 combine that with someone having, you know, a number, it's kind of it can be very fear based and sort of restrictive. Um how do you get you know, and there's other there's other areas where I think we can get into much more sort of wholesome positivity. But when you're counseling someone around food, how do you how do you use the sort of the wisdom of the heart to prevent them from just becoming totally stressed out? which would be, of course, counterproductive to where you're trying to take them.
1: Right. Well, I think one of the most interesting lessons that I learned and that I share in the book is it's not all just accumulated months and years of bad eating that slowly lead to changes in your arteries. The science says each meal has an effect in one hour or less on your arteries. And therefore, every time you sit down with a fork, a spoon, your hands, and a plate or a bowl, You've got an opportunity right then for the next four or five hours to influence your arterial health and arterials. These are to the brains. So these are your brain health, your heart health, um, anywhere in your body, including your uh, sexual health, which is artery driven. You've got a chance to influence it for the better and the worse. and. You know, on the one hand, that might cause some anxiety among people. Oh, my God. And, you know, we've all had this. I ate more than I should have or something that I should have. And, you know, I feel guilty about it. And these people will understand a little better maybe why they should feel guilty because scientific studies they've seen for the first time that show their arteries may constrict or act in a sick manner because of what they chose. But on the other hand, they understand that, you know, looking at that uh, sweet potato or, kale salad or rice bean dish as something therapeutic and they hopefully will be more informed to reach for it for positive self-healing empowering reasons you know it's in my practice it's all about empowering them to understand some science and some physiology and then make a decision based on that
0: got it Uh, so you, you talk about the heart as not just being a pump gets the old uh, the old model but also being its own miniature brain. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that and it, you know, is it is that a metaphor or you know when you talk about sort of you know brain and energy around the heart. Um I've read a lot of New Age stuff that talks about it, but you're coming you're coming to us as a uh, you know battle hardened M D. What what is the what does the real science say about that topic?
1: Yeah, well, that kind of goes back to a comment uh, you made right at the beginning about it happens to be a proprietary product and company called HeartMath, but it's just one of the best ones and research-based ones around. But, you know, our entire bodies are energy fields. Our heart is the strongest energy field of all the organs. I mean, that's not new age. That's why you can do an electrocardiogram of the heart, and it shows electrical signals on a piece of paper. That's why you can do an EEG in the brain which is less powerful of an electrical organ than the heart. And you can see, you know, things inscribed on paper because of uh, pulses of energy to and fro. Um, And in every cell, there's uh, that kind of electrical current. um, That's obviously the theoretical background why acupuncture works, is to tap into energy uh, transfer and movement throughout the body. Um, but, you know, what? what's fascinated me, because I'm looking for tools for my own life, for my patients more so, of uh, things I can teach them in terms of stress management and heart health. So it turns out you can focus on uh, utilizing for, the, for your benefit this heart energy field. Well, I think some of the most fascinating data is that, uh, and you mentioned the word coherence, is that two people – within about five to six feet of each other, because that's about the range of our energy field around us. Actually, our energy fields can interact. Your energy field can interact with an animal, your pet. And you can see that EKGs that you're producing of electrical heart energy kind of start to meld together with uh, your loved one or an animal's uh, electrical force, and you kind of become sharing some of that, which is we know from human nature. If somebody positive walks in the room, you get close to them, you almost feel uplifted, and we know the opposite people. And there there may be, you know, different levels and different frequencies of energy that are out there. A little bit new age, but very science-based. So I love HeartMath, HeartMath.org. 'Cause as you say, with just a little clip on your ear and your iPhone or your iPad or your PC or your Mac, you can actually practice a breathing technique that is based on I think there's about forty scientific published studies in the medical literature that by practicing using your energy uh in a positive and outward loving way, you lower your blood pressure, you lower your cholesterol the lower markers of inflammation, and we don't have the long-term study to say you reduce your risk of heart disease and heart attack, but if you do all those other things, you will almost certainly lower your risk. So uh, I don't think it's too uh, new age to share with patients, um, you know, not all of them are going to grab onto meditation. Not all of them are going to get in a yoga room and you know, really get into the spirituality and the mindset of yoga. And a lot of us like tools and video games. HeartMath is just one of the better kind of heart-oriented video games out there,
0: and no disrespect to the genius creators. Right. And, and there's something really nice about So when you said... Um you know, we, we, we've we all been in a situation where we felt uplifted by someone or, or stressed out or, or, you know, sort of someone's like parasitically sucking on our energy and making us feel bad. And, yeah, we, we live in such sort of a, a numbers-driven, objective, scientific, if you can't measure it, it can't be real society, that to hear that that the, these effects are real and they are they can be measurable, it, it it kind of makes me trust myself more. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, some of the projects HeartMath is doing about this global coherence, which I'm sure you've seen a little bit, and setting up stations around the world. You know, you don't know what you don't measure. And I live by the uh, statement, be open-minded, but not so open-minded that your brains fall out. You know, not everything new and everything interesting is worth your time or going to pan out. But um, you know, the first thing that I saw about heart math was a list of publications and uh, I heard about it from some of the most credible physicians I knew and when I delved into it and read the stuff I said, you know, this is this is not necessarily snake oil. This is like PhDs who've publishing
0: their data for people to analyze. So, bully for them. Right. Yeah. Um So so a lot of the book talks about uh nutrition and diet and I feel like people who've listened to this this podcast kind of are hit over the head with that. With with your permission, I would love to talk about some of the things you talk about that almost nobody else does. Okay. Um, Can we talk about spices? You really like spices. I really like spices. I think, you know,
1: spices are some of the lowest hanging fruit. You know, I have patients in my practice from fancy neighborhoods with a lot of access to all kinds of resources. And I have people, a tremendous amount of my practices, blue-collar, wonderful people. And, you know, i got to look for things that they can do simply and easily if they don't necessarily have access to go to the Pritikin Center for two weeks or, you know, go spend 10 days with John McDougal or such. It's just not on the calendar. So one of the simplest things I can do is understand that, Spices are plants, dried plants, or you can grab them out of your garden if you have the wherewithal to grow them. Spices are some of the most powerful antioxidants anti right? nutritional boosters we have, and routinely adding spices to your food some you know with the knowledge that some of them are more powerful than others can take any plate any food and boost its um, nutritional value, you know, in just a matter of a few seconds and a few pennies. So, you know, some of those all-star winners, we've all now just been beat over the head in a good way about turmeric from the Indian tradition, whether you can find it somewhere raw and shave it yourself or buy it, hopefully relatively fresh um, as a ground turmeric, but it's anti-inflammatory properties, tasty little thing on vegetables, soups, salads, uh casseroles um you know if you've got diabetes if you have got high cholesterol if you've got arthritic problems turmeric is amazing ginger is probably they're neck and neck i just learned today that ginger and turmeric are actually from the same family of um kind of spices and lineage uh, extremely you know, potent anti-inflammatory uh spice ginger that you can add in you know kind of sweet stuff or um or, or any soups or uh you know prepared foods um and then you get into the kind of sweeter things like the cinnamons the allspice the cloves um nutmeg and you know so i buy these little mixes of organic spices that have multiples of these together and use them liberally um and i encourage everybody to do the same um you know the optimal would be if you have a spice garden and you can actually pick this stuff and use it as fresh as can be but um great 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 way to improve your health um The latest thing I learned, and I have to give credit because, you know, you stand on the shoulders of really great people, but um, the website nutritionfacts.org and Dr. Michael Grieger, um, all of a sudden I'm a family that has dried mustard and dried mustard seed around the house because it turns out the the component of broccoli that is demonstrated to be extremely anti-inflammatory and cancer suppressive, it's called sulforaphane, does get um, destroyed to a large degree by cooking and steaming and microwaving and such. Um, it, it just destroys the enzyme that creates sulfurphane, but all the other components are there. When you, It turns out mustard is in the brassica family. It's in the um, family that uh, broccoli is. If you will get some dried mustard and sprinkle it on your broccoli or on your cooked kale or on your... Um, steamed cauliflower, you're actually adding back in the enzyme that got destroyed and you reactivate this chemical reaction so as you eat it, you get uh. the sulfur fan. That is one of the coolest chemistry, practical spice-based equations I've ever heard of. Um, you can actually also, if you have a whole bowl of steamed broccoli and just put a few pieces of raw broccoli in, the raw broccoli will contain that enzyme that would have been damaged in the other pieces, and that does the same thing, but it turns out Nice to put some mustard powder spice on your food. I kind of like the flavor, and that's kind of a new habit. So that's just one of many.
0: Huh? Uh, Finally, uh, some science-based food combining.
1: For uh, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Do you you I'm curious. Do you have like an understanding, or, or even a wild theory, about why these plants that are so intensely flavored might be so good for us?
1: Yeah, there's a couple of thoughts. One is that they are, the, both the colors and the flavors are defense mechanisms, and um, they they actually are a little bit of toxin poison. There's a concept in physiology that's rarely spoken about called hormesis, what doesn't kill you strengthens you, H-O-R-M-E-S-A-S, but that a little bit of plant-based toxin um, in the spices and in the colorful part that are there to potentially ward off a predator we're big and powerful and much heavier than most of plant predators, so we get a little bit of a reaction uh, in terms of uh, boosting our immune system, boosting our reaction, and and the net is a long-term health benefit. So, um, uh, you know, it's it's the plant's defense mechanisms that are powering up our own internal immune system and um, largely immune system, and we're benefiting from it by this physiologic concept called hormesis.
0: I see. So it's almost like the same way that uh, that greens um, contain all the antioxidants that protect them, the plants from sun damage. Uh, These spices are protecting the plant from predator damage. uh, Right.
1: Exactly. And it's herbivore damage. Exactly. And it's there's just a whole host of bitter-based vegetables. Including like bitter melon, something known well within the Indian community, that um, the bitter taste is a very potent blood sugar lowering effect. Uh, we react to it, we respond in our physiology, we lower our blood sugar. And anything with bitter uh, flavors to it tends to have a, a
0: real good response to our physiology. Gotcha. Um, so now, something you write about that I find a little bit controversial in our world is you're really in favor of organic. And I know a lot of people who are, you know, in the front lines of a plant-based movement really downplay organics. And I don't know if it's it's science-based or just marketing. Uh, but you're very clear that the, the that, um, some of the, the toxins in non-organic food can have a, a negative impact on our heart health.
1: Can you it sure about? seems to be. And, you know, a few things, again, I'm a student as you are, and I'm sure many of your listeners are. So I recently read a book, Uh, happily plugged, called Toxin Tox Out, which was a title I wanted to write, but I saw somebody had one coming out. They grabbed it. And actually the science says that a standard conventional piece of fruit has 90 times the pesticides. I didn't know that number compared to an organic piece of fruit, 90 times. And, you know, it's variable. Some of them are more than 90 times. So it's a huge difference. And, and yes, there's without question uh, both our personal care items are – Our deodorants, our shampoos, our hand soaps, uh, our home cleaning items that are packed with environmental toxins unless you select carefully. And similarly, our food chain, uh, with it rampant with pesticides and something called persistent organic pollutants or POPs, uh, which can be concentrated in non-organic food and animal products, they're clearly taking a detriment on our endocrine health on our obesity risk, and ultimately because of those things on our heart health. So, you know, there's one, the fact that organic produce should have, you can't ever test it, but should have a fraction of the pesticides that may interfere with your liver detoxification, with your endocrine system, um, with your fat stores. And in addition, pretty solid data that the actual nutrition in organic produce is five, six, seven times higher than non-organic produce so essential minerals like magnesium like potassium like some of the nitrogen sources are actually much much higher in organic produce than inorganic produce or non-organic produce is the better term conventional produce so i mean as long as the budget will allow and with big chain stores starting to get uh, onto the organic produce bandwagon hopefully not to alter the farming industry so much that we end up with you know Non-pesticide, but kind of uh, nutritionally empty foods, which I hope isn't the outcome as Walmart goes into the organic produce. We'll just have to see. But if the budget will allow, I, I, if you know, if you're juicing as a regular habit, I mean, it just to concentrate, you know, a high pesticide load into a juice, to me, speaks to the fact you really should be buying organic produce. You know, but but there are the realities that it is sometimes know two three times the price we all know that
0: right so one thing that occurs to me is um i just moved to a to a new home and it's a it's in a a rural area and for the first time we have like a big space in which to garden Mm -hmm. and i just just by working the garden i'm like following like 70 percent of your recommendations
1: that's you know fantastic you know and, and uh You're right. You're you're absolutely right. You're going to have all those spices and fresh, and you're not going to be coating them with uh, BT and uh, glycopate and all the rest and um, colorful, very... Yeah, I mean, it's grabbing back that skill of raising our own produce and the other skill that Michael Pollan talks about, which is remembering how to cook uh, so that we can actually take back control of our menu for our children and ourselves are you know some of the bright spots that we're seeing out there things like farmers markets and all being others
0: right and So let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the other benefits i get in the garden that you write about in the book one is about uh you talk about our our, our modern day plague of, of sedentarism of people not moving uh how, what does that have to do what does exercise and not exercising have to do with our hearts
1: Yeah, and, you know, um, we chatted about this for two seconds before we started because, you know, if you would have asked five years ago um, how much scientific data is there that sitting is a danger, there was some, but it seems like in the last year and a half or two it's coming down like a storm, uh, big scientific data. The classic study I talk about in my book was A study of London bus operators, the double-decker buses, and a study done years ago that the person who was assigned the job of running up and down the 10 steps to get the tickets versus the person driving the bus very often came from the same neighborhood, had the same pay scale, had the same grocery bill and such. But the risk of heart attack was about half in the person who had the job of being the ticket taker compared to the bus driver, and it was the physical activity um and you know so there were certainly many pieces of data that said a job that involves movement um was essential dr james levine at mayo clinic for the past 20 years has been talking about weight control and health isn't all going to the gym and killing yourself for an hour or training for a marathon it's does your employment or your own habits involve standing moving fidgeting have nervous little habits of shaking your legs. All those things are tiny little calorie burners that add up. But just recently we've come across you know, hours spent sitting at work, in front of a TV, wherever it, it manifests. You can almost track out number of hours sitting versus developing diabetes, increased cancer risk, heart disease risk. And as we mentioned, just a study that uh, was published in the last two weeks that if you follow – the field called telomere length, the the uh, tips of your chromosomes that are long when you're born and slowly get shorter and shorter by replicating your genetic material, but as they get shorter and shorter, they uh, seem to predict aging, that people who get up, stand, move, walk, take phone calls, uh, work at a standing desk, all those kind of movements have longer telomeres, which is a, a signal of better anti-aging resistance, are aging resistance and people that uh, have a much more sedentary life. So you can actually anti-age yourself. In one of the most, least expensive and most reasonable ways by gardening, by getting a standing desk, by getting up every hour and walking for five minutes around your desk and stretching and moving. Um, you know there are certain people that are locked to computers and locked to jobs, but more than anybody, those people need to know the power of taking some walks at lunchtime, parking their car further away, taking the stairs up to the office. And just getting up and moving. Uh, Again, David Katz, MD at Yale, has this great video series called Activity-Based Everywhere ABE. I may be doing him no justice there. It's called ABE, but it's these little short videos of, you know, if you need some guidance at work, what to do for three, four minutes at your desk to stretch, to move. Uh, but uh, you know, it's just common language now. So your gardening is, you know, it's getting you better quality food. It's causing you to go in the house and prepare food, and it's causing you to move and all to
0: garden. So it's a it's a triple winner. I agree. Right, and maybe a little bit later we can talk about earthing, which you which you offer in your book. Without um, you know, standing behind is not enough scientific evidence to to tout it. Maybe we can talk about that in a little bit. Um, but one one of the things I love what you said about exercise is that most of us have a binary view where we think i either have zero minutes or 30 minutes like those are the two times or more depending on you know what what you consider exercise but but if i if i don't have 30 minutes i can't do any and you have a great list of sort of lifestyle hacks and i realized how many of these things uh like i go out of my way to avoid doing just because i never thought about it like How many times will I circle the parking lot looking for a good spot? Or how how many times will I take the the grocery cart and tip it up on the curb so it won't roll into another car so that I don't have to, you know, walk 30 feet to return it? And, And you really quickly and powerfully reconceptualized all of those things as opportunities for healthy movement for me.
1: Right, and, you know, um, sports fans that are listening, commercial comes on, great opportunity to stand up if you haven't DVR'd it. It's a good reason not to. Stand up, uh, walk around, uh, stretch, uh, maybe, you know, do a couple jumping jacks, touch your toes, um, you know, for uh, one of the, the least healthy activities of just parking yourself in front of a TV for two or three hours. But all those other ways, I mean, it's really when you start to think about it as a goal, I, again, a pedometer is one of the best investments you can make in your health, 25 bucks maybe, on your belt. Get some sense of how many steps a day you're taking and uh, use little tips like you just said of, you know, you, you we all are moving around, but we can build in some extra movement uh, that's simple. And the science says it's very meaningful. It's a a major difference. Um, In fact, just this week, I mean, a study was done, people sitting at a desk, and every hour they would measure in a way that's very sophisticated and scientific the health of their arteries by a little blood pressure cuff machine versus people that were just getting up for five minutes every hour and moving. And you could see an amazing difference between arterial health by building in five minutes an hour of movement, standing, stretching, walking around the desk, walking to the water cooler and back, Versus not doing that. So you're right. It doesn't have to be a 60-minute spin class. And we know, in fact, if you do a 60-minute spin class and the rest of your day is locked in a chair, you're not going to gain as much health as the guy that's walking up and down the stairs on that London double-decker who's just building in movement into his life on a more regular basis, even though it's not called gym class and not necessarily creating sweat. Sweat's important. You want a little balance of both if you need to get some sweat into your life. It's a great detoxification strategy, but movement without sweat, which is what Dr. Levina Mayo called neat, um, is also very important, crucial. Right. And
0: and we, when I think about it, I think, you know, basically our bodies have evolved to be healthy in a certain environment. Like it doesn't really make sense that I would want to spend huge amounts of my energy just exercising. It seems like, you know, in, in an ancestral environment, exercise was to be something that i try to eliminate because i need the calories you know i would i would do the work that needed to be done i would i would forage and and build and 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 schlep and do sort of very sort of slow natural movements and i would only run like hell when i was trying to catch something or trying to avoid being caught
1: yeah yeah, yeah. but um you know uh as i say we i and i can't see you because we're both on the phone but i think i've sat about five minutes of this uh conversation and uh just wandering my desk and uh, organizing while we're talking. And everybody, again, kitchen, that's why getting cooking back in the house, we mentioned that. Because, you know, you're not sitting while you're cooking. You're moving, you're bending, you're stretching, you're uh, doing things. And, you know, we never gave credence to um, simple movement, but uh, it's critical. So everybody who's listening right now, stand up, stretch, jump, do a back bend, touch your toes, and uh, go out there and uh, build a garden
0: like you're doing. Uh, and, and just you know, it's it's so one of the things I was going to ask you was okay if you if you want to eat the way you want to eat, you can bring a box, the bag lunch. You can you know the, your employer doesn't really have a word to say about that. If you want to go running on the weekends, if you want to meditate, but when you're at your desk, it's, I was going to ask you like what on earth can you do? But it sounds like five minutes an hour is enough to to pretty much counter the effects of all that sitting.
1: Right. And I think the simplest thing most anybody can do if they're in reasonable health is stand for phone calls. You know, you're on the call, you got your screen, unless you're actively typing, standing during a phone call for a good portion of the hour is simple and easy to do. If you're not able to do that, if you're just locked at your desk, then you got to break away for those five minutes. And you got to, you know, get yourself to walk uh, amongst the office or maybe get outside and get some fresh air for five minutes and uh, do yourself a favor. And, you know, Tell them, tell your administrator, your supervisor, that five minutes an hour helps your health and you heard it from Howard Jacobson and Dr. Kahn on his podcast and have them email me and I'll send them the reference. Excellent. <laughs> I mean it would be a a great thing. And again, my pet peeve, you can tell it from my book and my blogs, is you know, hospitals ought to be that laboratory where we test these things out and prove it, both the food and the movement. We ought to have those programs for nurses and um, and staff that they are encouraged by some kind of software on the computer or a bell that goes off every five minutes, an hour, overhead that says get up and move and walk. It's your fitness moment, your fitness break. Um, and, you know, these these revolutions of health ought to start within the hospitals and spread out. But with some exceptions that are quite notable, it's uh, almost the opposite.
0: Right. Well, I, w- I would love to have someone do the calculation of a company that had, you know, it's like the old fashioned factories with the whistle where, you know, it's lunch break and it's like in these old, you know, nineteen fifties movies, everyone gets up and leaves their their station. What if you had those, you know, at fifty five to the hour where everyone gets up and moves around, you know, it's considered bad form to be at your desk for those five minutes. I wonder what that would do to their healthcare costs.
1: Yeah. I I think you could devise a very reasonable program and do a small test uh, of that, but a a group walking, group walking meetings, um, and look at outcomes. I know for sure you'd have a happier workforce and maybe a workforce more committed to buy into the rest of the wellness program that the corporation may be offering um, by recognizing and rewarding people. This is good for your health. So we need to start a revolution, and it starts with your two feet on the
0: ground for five minutes, pretty simple thing. Excellent. So there's a whole bunch of other things that I want to talk to you about. We're coming up to the to the top of the hour, and I want to respect your time. And um, But I, I do want to ask you about um, a hidden cause of problems for people's health, which is um, like cosmetics and beauty products and things we put on our bodies. Um, it, it, I never think about that. I think, you know, it's going on, I'm going to wash it off. It's not really – it's like – you know, the clothes I wear, it doesn't seem to me that that's integral, but science says otherwise.
1: Right. And, you know, I'm not a Debbie Downer that necessarily has a five uh, five alarm fire going on all the time that everything's, you know, falling apart. But um, we do have chemicals in our life that didn't exist 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, these chemicals aren't only what you're buying at the hardware store and bringing in your garage. They are now in your deodorants, in your cosmetics, in your shampoo, in your house cleaning agents. Every time you bring dry cleaning in the house, I mean, we have a convenience, chemical-driven life, but um, there appears to be solid data we're paying a price for it. You know, Many people have heard, and, and probably the biggest example is just how many plastics are in our life that weren't in our life, you know, a generation ago. There were some, but not nearly the number. I mean, almost every food item we buy nowadays is prepackaged in plastics. And we're learning that most people have heard by now bisphenol A or BPA in plastic bottles and other plastics because you can – Urinate in a cup, send it off to a lab, and, and about 90% of Americans, you can measure detectable levels of a chemical that has no role in our body and no purpose other than it seems to disrupt our endocrine hormone system, being linked to diabetes, to obesity, um, to maybe some fertility problems, and more and more to heart disease issues of hypertension and such. And that's bisphenol A. And then, you know, you just go in your bathroom and you look at, you know, the side of your hairspray or your deodorant spray. Or, you know, you can't pronounce the words. But as the science has gotten deeper and deeper, and I've got to give most of the credit to this, to the non-for-profit organization, EWG.org or Environmental Working Group, that, you know, is it proven that deodorants that have parabens and aluminum, and poly, uh, uh, propylene glycol absolutely cause cancer, dementia, or other health issues. It's not a proven issue, and, uh, you know, there's no point completely pulling the alarm prematurely. But, you know, if you read about the petrochemical source of these, uh, and usually it's the number one, number two, number three uh, content, a lot of the personal care items we put. You know, you absorb in about 25 seconds whatever you put on your skin, you absorb through the skin. It's the largest organ in our body. It's very porous. So what you put on your underarm is in your body in 25 seconds. What you lather your head up, what you soap your body with in 25 seconds, it's inside your body. All you got to do is urinate in a cup and you can measure all this stuff or urinate, uh, measure blood levels. or I mentioned sweating maybe half an hour ago. You can sit in a sauna, collect a sauna dripping off your chin. You can measure mercury, lead, arsenic, cadmium, phthalates, and all kinds of chemicals that never existed in normal human um, conditions. So, the point is be aware. I mean, it, it's important to learn how to detoxify by eating lots of green leafy vegetables, lots of fresh water, um, sitting in saunas, uh, going to yoga classes and sweating heavily, uh, exercise and breathing, meditation. These are all detoxifying strategies. But be aware of what's going in your body. You won't have as much need to exit and detoxify. And so it's pretty simple nowadays to replace toothpaste and shampoos and soaps and uh Anything that's going on your skin, there's kind of this rule. If you wouldn't, you know, only put on your skin what you would eat. Or You know, if you wouldn't eat it, don't put it on your skin would be the opposite. And, you know, yep. you probably wouldn't eat something that had that list of 25 chemicals you can't pronounce. Um, and you probably shouldn't. So we become aware of it. And there's just so many options now. Now, I happened today to walk through... Uh, a a superstore and a super drug store and it's still maybe one or two items out of 50 in the deodorant section would you really call you know natural and uh non-toxic chemical free the majority are still uh the name brand items so you have to do a little hunting and you have to find online or your local store that might carry the options but they're really just pennies more than the rest and it's a good bet that it'll probably help your health in the long run even if you can't absolutely prove it all right now
0: gotcha gotcha um so la- last thing i want to ask you about is grounding or earthing Can you just describe what that is and, and uh-huh. what the, what you think the benefit might be
1: yeah so it turns out um as i understand the history of it um a engineer professor was sitting in Sedona beautiful beautiful neighborhood you know 90 minutes north of phoenix in arizona uh, with beautiful red mountains about 25 years ago and just happened to be sitting on a bench and noticing person walked by rubber shoes person walked by rubber sandals person walked by rubber gym shoes person walked by rubber boots and he had his knowledge of electrical engineering to say nobody's wearing shoes that have any conductivity with the earth itself the earth has electrical charges that can easily be measured, and people are monitoring earthquakes and stuff. There's no question that uh, there's a large electrical force. And people used to wear leather shoes or barefoot. People used to sleep close to the Earth or on the Earth. We've removed ourselves as a society from that for a variety of reasons. And he started experimenting with the idea of uh, what were the health benefits of getting back in contact with Earth, whether you're barefoot, whether you have shoes that have the ability of conducting the Earth's current to your body and ultimately whether you could actually make sheets and um, mats around your computer that are uh, uh, electrically tied to the earth and that whole field is called earthing or grounding so um, i was educated about it a few years ago and you can go to the medical library and put those terms in and you'll find a few dozen studies The purported benefits and you've got to talk about this being fairly preliminary Um, include uh, clotting of blood, that being more in connection with the earth tends to cause your blood to be a little bit more viscous or resistant to clotting. Clotting is good if you cut your finger, but it's not very good if you're having a stroke or a heart attack. So um, blood that clots too readily is not a health advantage. Um, Inflammation, there are markers of inflammation that go down with earthing or grounding. Cortisol levels tend to go down. Thyroid function may improve. There's been some recent interesting data that you can take people on exercise bikes. One bike looks normal, one bike actually has a wire that's connected to the earth by grounding through an electrical outlet and such. And there's better exercise performance and less inflammation in the person who's on the grounded bike. So, you know, the most practical application, the easiest, is just go outside and walk barefoot on the grass every now and then. Uh, particularly if you're near a body of water, walk by a lake. It may be one of the reasons it's so calming, so spiritual, so uh, relaxing to be barefoot uh, on a beach or on a grassy area near a lake. And if you don't have that opportunity, if you're living in Manhattan and you're not uh, necessarily near a shoreline all the time, you can buy products. There is a sheet you can put on your bed and there's a little wire that will plug into your electrical outlet. but It has to be a three-pronged outlet with one of the prongs being a active grounding prong. And you can check that with a little device at the hardware store. And you're actually going to sleep connected to the Earth's current. So it's a very new age. It's, it's not very expensive. More research needs to be done. Are there testimonials of people with bad arthritis, fibromyalgia, and other conditions that it will say... Grounding has kept their inflammatory diseases at a minimum, and again, so much of cardiology is to come up with strategies that are uh, anti-inflammatory. There's a lot of testimonials. So we have these sheets in our house, but thank God my wife and I don't have any active arthritis, so I can't, purport, can't report a spiritual awakening. But, you know, some things you got to do with a little bit of sense of humor and a little faith. And there is science, but you can't compare it to some of the large bodies of science and some other strategies.
0: Right. We also, we also want to look at the question of what's the potential risk and harm. Uh, so, you know, if you want, if you want exactly. to take the precautionary view, like, you know, you, you talk a lot about the various, um, Western medical treatments for existing heart disease and, you know, the side effects of stents, of statins, of open heart surgery are significant. So, you know, if people are willing to do that and to consider that, but if they aren't willing to consider like walking on the grass barefoot for 5 minutes a day, um that that seems a little crazier than than believing that maybe this planet that we have evolved to to be on has something has has something you know, a gift of health to give us.
1: Absolutely. You know, it's uh you're deriving energy from the earth in your garden and uh energizing your Nutrition by getting as fresh as possible and as organic as possible, and we can also gain some, uh, you know, energy and some uplift. And you know, it may be a combination of, you know, this kind of emotional connection to Earth as well as some physical thing. And I can't measure everything in a scientific experiment, but for the naysayers, you can go look it up, and there is indeed a measurable benefit to uh, reconnecting to the planet Earth. And again, in the holistic view. I actually published a blog on the web today. I mean, our diet, we all know it, is a major source of stress and strain on the environment. And the choices we make are extremely important, not only to our health, but also to the health of the planet. So, for example, eating a beef-based diet requires 160 times as much land as a plant-based diet. That was some new data that just got published. It's called the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. It's about the most prestigious journal there is in the scientific world. And nobody expected that number in this calculation, 160 times the land drain for beef versus plant-based. Now, poultry, fish, dairy was much in excess of plant-based, but nowhere near 160 times. So, um, you know, respecting Mother Earth with our plate, respecting Mother Earth for its healing benefits in terms of grounding are all kind of tied together when you kind of take this somewhat enlightened approach to Uh, you know, your life and hopefully the planet for your children and grandchildren.
0: Right. And And if I could come sort of full circle as we, as we close, one of the things that I've discovered for myself and in look, watching lots of other people transition is if, if the only reason you're doing this is that so you won't die early, then as soon as you start getting better numbers, as soon as you start feeling healthier, then it's easy to slip, to reward yourself, to cheat, to lose motivation Whereas I've never seen anyone who kept kosher walk around going, oh, maybe today I can have a cheeseburger. Like, you know, I was really good. I was forgiven on Yom Kippur. I've been, you know, I feel like i am been really in God's good graces, and so now I can. It's like, you know, once it's having that sort of spiritual or or at least holistic perspective on your life and seeing it's not just about avoiding disease. It's about it's about living a lifestyle in concert with values and that's and that's joyous and fun. You know, that's where this becomes easy as opposed to just a long laundry list of do's and don'ts.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think you said it well and, you know, this is a lifestyle. This is something that will affect you 24 hours a day once you really give into the fact that you have a whole variety. My book is more than six dozen different Ways that you can grab onto your health, the health of the world, the health of your family, and you know, it was very, very empowering and uh, very exciting to be involved in this. And, you know, it takes some education, and uh, that's what I hope I've accomplished in this book is to give people some core information so that they know the difference between open-minded and brains falling out and such. Yep, and
0: uh, I got to say again, the the Whole Heart Solution by Dr. Joel Kahn is published by Reader's Digest. And you so it's, it's coming out on September 13th, Sixteenth. 16, 16. uh, 16th. Yeah. September 16th. Yeah. September 16th, 2014. I highly recommend this book. Um, probably get it in bulk because you'll want to give a bunch away and then you'll still want one in your own library. Um, Dr. Joel Kahn, thank you so much for taking the time to, to join me on this call.
1: Well, I can't tell how excited I was all day knowing that we were going to have this conversation. And, uh, Keep up doing your great work. I love all your writings, and I really appreciate you giving me the time to speak about some fun topics with you.
0: A pleasure. We'll have to to get you back so we can do that other uh, six hours on cholesterol sometime. Okay. There's a lot to be said. Awesome. All right. Be well. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.